Man, I'm really excited about this series. Uh, man, today is a difficult day in this series. Today is going to be challenging. This topic is a topic that I like to gloss over. Uh, to be quite honest, it doesn't make me feel all happy and excited inside. And I pray that when you leave church today that you still feel loved, that you feel, still feel like you can belong in this place. I mean, as you're checking out Jesus or what he, who he is or how that applies to your life. But, but this is a hard topic. It's talking about lordship. Making Jesus Lord of your life. And, and we don't like that word Lord. Does anybody like that word Lord or boss or master or, or anything like that? Uh, let's play a game. Let's play a game. I'm going to see if you like it. Simon says, raise your hand. Simon says, stand up. Simon says, jump up. Sit down. Oh, man, y'all are awesome. Give yourself a hand. That was, man, I got to practice that. That's why I was never Simon. I couldn't trick anyone. How many of you love being Simon? You just like love being Simon? Yeah, all the control people. That's me. That's me. I like it. I like to be the boss. You know, even from a young age, you know, we, we love to be the boss. We love to be the master. We love to be the authority position. We love this idea of control. And yet, yet we love it so much because Sometimes or oftentimes, um, control or people in authority positions have abu abused their position, haven't they? They've abused their position. Maybe it was a mother or a father. Maybe it was a political figure. Maybe it was a system, a judiciary system or something like that where you feel like they've crossed the line. They've abused this power. They, they have made a power play on you or on society or on humanity. And therefore, if they're going to be abusing that kind of position, then I don't want anything to do with that. I just want to do me. I just want to take care of me. How many know that's true? I find that to be so true in my life personally that I've seen that abused and therefore therefore I don't want anything to do with it and so when we bring up that Jesus is Lord then you're like oh I kind of like Jesus kind of liked him as savior I liked him in his own area I liked how he made me feel but now he's going to tell me what to do how to live that becomes more challenging as you hear that message uh, um, I'm going to invite Ben to come up on stage. You know, maybe you've heard this. Um, uh, William Ernest Henley wrote a, a powerful poem called Invictus. And, and as he wrote this poem, he, he was, his, feet, his foot was being amputated because he had tuberculosis. And, and as that was happening, he wrote this poem. And I'll let you use this mic, Ben, if you want to. And so y'all give it up for Ben. Out of the night that covers me. Black as a pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horrors of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds it to find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate or how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Y'all give it up for Ben. Come on. We have a handshake. Y'all want to see it? Y'all want to see our handshake? Come on. Come on. Y'all give it up for Ben Williams. So good, right? So, like, we, uh, we read this poem and we get excited about this poem. This poem makes you feel like, yes, 
You hear that poem, you're like, that's right, man, that's right, that's me. I, I love this poem. In fact, um, Nelson Mandela, one of, my, one of my heroes of all time and, and just an amazing man, when he was um, in prison, he would oftentimes refer to Invictus, and that was a poem that helped him get through that dark, dark time, realizing that, man, I, I have to start making a way. I, I, it doesn't matter what circumstance I'm going through. I, I'm going to make it through on the other side, just like Henley did. But, but how many of you know there's some, there's some things in this poem that are not too healthy for us as a people or as those who follow Jesus? Like, who is in charge of our soul? Who is in charge of your soul? Let me ask you that. Who's in charge of your soul? Who's the master of your soul? And does it or does it not matter how straight the gate is? Does that matter? If we read Jesus' words, it, it matters. Because there is a gate that is straight and narrow that leads to life and godliness. And there's a, a way that's straight or a way that's not straight and it's wide. And the gate is wide and it leads to destruction. So, so Jesus says it matters and it contradicts Henley and we find ourselves in this place where we're like, man, I like that poem. It feels so good. I like making a way for myself. And yet Jesus is saying, but you won't. But you can't. And it challenges our soul. Close your eyes if you are willing. <laughs> Close your eyes. What comes to your mind when I say God? What comes to your mind when I say the name Jesus? You can open your eyes. What was that? Was it the Savior? Was it this master? Was it the one who loves your soul? The one who's guarding your soul? The one who's directed your path? A.W. Tozer says this. What comes to our minds when we think about God? is the most important thing about us. There's a, there's a moment where Jesus turns to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Three questions I want to ask us this morning. Who is Jesus? What is our response to him? And how should we live? Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? Nabil Qureshi wrote this book, Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus world-renowned apologetist, and at the age of 30, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer, and he passed away this week. And I, I want to share his story because his story is profound to this question, who is Jesus? You see, as he grew up Muslim and at the age of four could read, read the whole Quran and later could recite the Quran and was brought up in a loving family, a, a mom and dad who cherished him and cared so much about him and loved him in every aspect. He, he grew up in that and he grew up in this faith. And when he went to college, college is an important playing field, isn't it? It's an important field where you're challenged with ideas and thought and, 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 and outside thinking. And his best friend, David, 
he and David would sit down over, over the tables and they'd have conversations about Jesus and Allah. They would have conversations about the Quran and the Bible and, and they began to um, spar with one another. How many of you know that there can be some healthy sparring in life where you challenge each other's thoughts and ideas and it helps cultivate you and make you better? Um, uh, Tyler would know this in jujitsu. It's like the, 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 more, the more you practice, the more you spar, the, the better you become, right? So it, it's healthy to spar um, in a sport like that physically, but it's healthy to spar in, in a walk like we have spiritually and mentally, isn't it? It's, it's healthy because it sharpens us and shapes us. And as he was doing that, he, he found himself uh, questioning some of the things that he heard growing up. And, and not questioning his mother or his father or their love for him, but questioning some of these ideas. And when he researched it enough, he, he found out that Islam's base is really not concrete. It's not concrete. It, it falls short. Um, Allah and the stories of Allah were just were told orally from generation to generation. Like it was passed, it passed down um, word of mouth. And and found out that there's not a lot of legitimacy there. As he began to discover Christianity, he, he believed that Jesus was a good teacher. He, he believed that Jesus was real. He, he didn't dispute that that much. In fact, Islam says that, that Jesus is a, is a good prophet, right? He was a great teacher, but he wanted to question the validity of Jesus. Did Jesus really die on the cross? And did he really give up his life? And if so, um, and once that was proven that there was a crucifixion, uh, he began to look at the resurrection and the life of the resurrection and the accounts of the resurrection and all those who witnessed the death and also witnessed the life thereafter. And they began to look at all the facts and he started coming to a place of believing. And this is what I love about Christianity. This is what I love about Luminous Church. This place is a place, a safe place where you can belong and believe before you believe. You can sit there and you can listen to this crazy pastor and, and, and yell at you and, and, and ask these questions. Is this the truth? Is this something that I'm going to hold to? And in the process, you're going to see a community love you and embrace you and give you high fives and, and all that stuff. And it's going to be incredible. And, and through that, you're going to have what we call a revelation of Jesus. And I believe, I believe that everyone will or could possibly have a revelation of Jesus. You know, God says he, he desires no man to perish, none not one. And so Jesus died for the world, for the sins of the world. And he died to take our place. And, and I believe this fully. I believe that Jesus came and, and he begins to reveal himself. And just like Nobal, we find that he had three dreams or visions of Jesus appearing to him, of Jesus revealing himself to him. And at that point, it was indisputable. He, he decided, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to give my life to this. And as a result, it, it was a tough challenge. He found out that Jesus in Acts 2.36, that God made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. He wasn't just Savior in that moment, but now he was becoming Lord or what we refer to as Master. He, he was Master and so the question is, what is our response? If Jesus is Lord and Savior, what is our response? Our response differs on how you see Jesus. 
you see him as a good teacher, you'll listen and apply some of his teachings to your life. And, and, but that's about as far as it'll go. If he's a good um, moral teacher and you believe in the morality that he spoke about, then you'll begin to change your life and begin to um, behave in such a way that, that looks morally good. But if you believe that Jesus is more than that, that he is master, it will change everything. It'll change everything. And the thing is, we don't like this idea of him being master, of him being Lord over us. Now, in fact, we rebelled against that idea, didn't we? When Adam and Eve, our, our, our first parents, were in the garden, they, they didn't like that either. And they rebelled against that. And you and I are no different. It's something that we come against. And yet Colossians 2, 6 and through 7 says this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, so you have to move to a place, not just Savior, but you have to move to Lordship. This idea of making him Lord of everything. And if not... You're living delusional. We don't want to preach a message. Yet I do. <laughs> I want to preach a message. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. It's going to be easy. Your best life now. It's going to be awesome. Get ready, Caesar. Come on, man. It's going to be awesome. And I believe it is awesome. If I don't say, man, it's going to cost you everything. And you're going to decide to try Jesus. But when it gets hard, you're going to leave. You're going to decide, try church, try it on and all that. But when life hits hard or you're challenged on an issue or God starts touching something in your life, you're going to be like, man, I'm out. Can't do it. It's kind of want I'm a savior. I want, I want my, you know, free ticket to heaven. That's it. That's what I want. That's why I'm here. But he's Lord. He's Lord of everything. He wants to direct your life. He wants to shape your life. He wants to tell you how to go and where to go. He wants to show you how to live. And Luke Chapter 14, how should we live? Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Who ever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's three things of making Jesus Lord that I want to focus on. Worship, cost, and surrender. Worship, cost, and surrender. Worship, this idea of wherever your affection is placed. On displayed for that affection, lived for that affection, um, all that. In verse 26, the first response to Jesus, the Lord, is he becomes the ultimate love of our life. He becomes the ultimate 
love of our life. He, he becomes all the expression. It's why the greatest worship song ever written is not you focused. It's God focused. And when we sing our songs, the greatest worship songs will be the ones that highlight Jesus and who he is and what he's done and where he reigns and where he lives and all about Jesus. Those are the greatest worship anthems and it's the greatest thing that you and I should do is worship in this way that lives where our love is expressed towards him, towards all that he is. It also cost. Everybody say cost. Cost you something. Uh, and he uses this illustration of building things, building towers, uh, um, building things like this. And he says that, that you need to count the cost. And so I want to free you up. If you're not ready to follow Jesus, then just give it more time. If you're not ready to count the cost of what it's going to cost you, then don't start walking. We're okay. We're patient. Right? And God is way more patient than us. You know, our baptism, it's going to be waiting for you one day when you're ready. But if you're not ready, just wait. Just wait. Consider the cost. It's going to cost you something. And I think about this. is like my friend, before we were friends, we used to pass this house on this country road in Midland. Every road is country in Midland. Just FYI. And as we were driving down the road, there was this house, and I, I remember it being built, but it had one of those, um, like, doors that opened to nowhere on the second floor, you know? Like, oh, my goodness. I guess that's the people that don't like, you know, when they're hosting. Hey, well, go out that door. The bathroom's through there. And I, we used to make fun of it, you know? And like, what's up with that? And maybe you've seen them, right? You've seen some houses like that, doors on the second floor, open nowhere. Later, I met the guy who lives in this house. We became like best friends. I actually lived with him for a season, and it was awesome. I said, man, what was up with that door? He's like, man, we were, honestly, we just didn't have any more money, right? We, we just ran out of money. We didn't, we didn't realize how much it would cost. Because if we did, I mean, maybe we went to put a door there, you know? Maybe we just would have walled it in. And that's like us. We have to consider the cost. So what is it going to cost? So, so a, a cost analysis is a bad way to say this, but it's true. Uh, anybody getting the iPhone X? iPhone 10? Just me. Okay. The iPhone 10 is like ridiculous, you know, facial recognition, all this stuff. I've been watching the keynote on it. Anytime something, Apple comes out with something, I'm like drooling, you know, just wondering what can we sell? I mean, how much will we get for Braille? Just kidding. Bad joke. That's my daughter. And so that was. No, no, it's ridiculous. It's like $1,000 and all this stuff. But, but we often look at things and when products come out, we're like, man, do, do I have enough to buy that? Do, do I really have enough? And, and, and is it worth it? This is the question we're asking. Is this worth the price to pay? And that's the question I have for us. Is Jesus worth it? Because anything of worth costs. A great marriage is going to cost. A great friendship's going to cost. A great, great kids are going to cost. 
You're going you're gonna to give up vacations. You're going to give up um, all these things. You're going to start doing, uh, living life a different way. Everything worth something cost. And the one who is the most worthy is the most costly. And that's why he says it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you every single area of your life to follow Jesus. To follow God, it is you, literally what he says, dying to yourself. He uses an analogy of crucifixion. It's you going on the cross and you giving your life. And until you give your life, you'll never find why you were truly made. Because he's so worthy in his worth he starts speaking your worth. He starts speaking why you were made, why you were created, what you were made for. That's what he does. That's what's so amazing about Jesus. Lastly, surrender. It's going to be a life of surrender. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And we get hung up on this. I love going to the college campus, you know, talking about Jesus. Uh, Postmodernism is alive on the college campus. Uh, Some of us grew up in the Bible Belt. We grew up in this religion, so we're living this religion. But but at any point in your life, you're going to come this juncture of whether you're going to live it or not, whether you're going to have faith or not have faith. and I love on the college campus because they, they try to find the verses that stump you. What's up with this? Jesus saying, hate your father and mother and, and hate your brother and sister and all that stuff. And I'm just going to say that, that Jesus is not saying hate your father and mother. In fact, the Greek word there is, is that you would just put God's affection and all your attention above anything else. Everything else is is really worthless in the presence of God. It doesn't mean that that we don't love our kids and love our wife and love our friends. No, we love them. But but what is it going to cost you? It's going to cost your worship of your spouse, your worship of your kids, your worship of your mother and your father, the worship of your brothers and sisters. And anytime I try to make something else God other than God, it never works out. Because no one else can handle that weight. I remember first getting married and, man, I was, I was disillusioned. I was uh, disillusioned, right? Like, I was just off, you know? I, I got married and, and, man, I worshipped Brandy. <laughs> Prettiest woman to walk the earth. Can't do anything wrong. Just amazing. Why did you offend me? What's up? I thought you were perfect. And I kept having like this crazy anxiety inside of me. Like, I thought she was perfect and she's not. And I don't know what to do. And it's because I've been worshiping her and not God. Anything you worship is going to fall flat. Anything worship can't bear the weight that God can bear. He alone was created for it. And if you're trying to worship your kids or trying to worship anything else, you're going to break them. And you're going to break you in the process. 
So the freedom is Jesus. It's, it's freedom when we, when we worship him. And, and we're in this pendulum, right? We're in this pendulum swinging left to right. The, the first, we would say obedience doesn't matter because I, I'm, I'm saved. I'm forgiven, right? So that's this pendulum over here. I, I'm saved. I'm forgiven. And Jesus loves me no matter what. Um, oh man, I can do whatever I want. I got my ticket. Now I can live the life that I want to live. And, and that's called cheap grace. It's what we call when um, you unnecessarily putting Jesus on the cross again and again and again, unnecessarily. And he loves you and he's not going to give up on you, but that's not what he wants for you. And then so we move all the way over here to this pendulum where it's all about obedience and obedience is my salvation. And I got to do the checklist and the do's and don'ts. And if I don't obey, oh, now God doesn't love me. Oh, man, I cussed again today. Oh, God, why? Oh, man, I get drunk again. Oh, man, I'm not worthy. And so you're trying to constantly make yourself better. And Jesus said, no, I paid for that. I paid for that. I gave you grace. I love you. You're mine. Don't even try to repeat it. It's okay. I love you. And so he's moving us to this middle place where I love grace. I love his patience. I love all this stuff. And yet he wants me to walk a certain way. He wants me to live a certain way. He wants me to do certain things because he has my best in mind. He has my best in mind. And a good father has your best in mind. And so when discipline comes, you're like, oh, man, this really stinks right now. But you have my best in mind. And, and, when, and when things happen, he has your best in mind. God is not looking for perfect obedience. He is wanting us in perfecting obedience. This process of becoming more like him in all that we do and say. And the gospel shows us what true obedience is in John 14, 15. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. If you love me, show it. Walk it. Live it. Teach it. Disciple it. Show it. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you. Jesus is master and he is Messiah. He's not the authority that will abuse you or take advantage of you. He's the authority that wants the best for you. Because believe it or not, he created you. You are the Imago Dei, the image of God. Sons and daughters for those who are walking with Jesus. Father, we love you this morning. God, we thank you that you are so good. And Father, I just pray that lordship would never in our church move to rules and law. Lordship would be a display of Christ on the earth of how much we want to look like Jesus. We want to look like Jesus in the workplace, in our family, around our friends. God, we want to look like Jesus. And so that's why we want to obey because, Lord, you're amazing. You're amazing and you're so worth it. And so, Father, I just pray for strength to walk in this way. Lord, for whatever area in our life, for whatever addiction you're amputating, 
for whatever feeling that's contrary to you that you're amputating, for whatever idea you're amputating, for whatever way we're walking you're amputating, Lord, it is painful, and we don't want to do it on our own. We don't want to be the master of our own soul. We don't want to be the captain of our own soul. God, we want you to rule and reign. Jesus, that's where everything makes sense. So, Father, we love you. In Jesus' name.